from the Game Nashville Studios, presented by Wholesale Inc. Mount Juliet. This is the Julian Council Show on Nashville's best sports talk, ESPN 1025 The Game. Julie Council Show, the podcast, is not live, but it is on the air on your mobile device, your computer, or wherever you're listening to this, whether it's on SoundCloud, iTunes, I don't know. I appreciate you listening, as always, here on the Julian Council Show. Unreal show today for you. Well, may not unreal, but a show I'm really excited about. Chris Doring, SEC Network. Spent a lot of good times there, SEC Media Days, back in July with Chris, so... Had a great time there. Had a great conversation with him about the SEC and who he thinks gets to the playoff. Here's a hint. He thinks Georgia and Bama are going back once again. Also, Trey Wallace of Fox Sports Knox up there, the host of It's Optional, also writes for the Read Optional, hence It's Optional. Great Vols mind. Been moving up there. He moved up there not too long ago, so Trey knows a ton about the Vols. He's up there covering the team day in and day out. He'll be there in Charlotte this weekend as Tennessee faces off against West Virginia at 2.30 on CBS locally. So two great conversations there. Really excited about that. And we'll start you off right now with Chris Doring from the SEC Network. Real excited to do this right now. Chris Doring, SEC Network. Talk a little college football with him. Had more than a uh, few good times up at uh, SEC Media Days in Atlanta in Jan- in July. Chris, how you doing, man? Julian, it's good to be with you, my friend. It was fun uh, in our our initial meeting in, in, in Atlanta, and then we, we definitely had some good times. So I'm uh, excited to reconnect with you here as we uh, get rolling with the college football season. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. All right. So we'll go around the country. But let's stick with the SEC, your specialty. Tell me if I'm crazy here. I honestly think there's a good chance with Nick Fitzgerald back, Joe Moorhead now as the head coach, though you saw what he did with Trace McSorley in that offense and Saquon Barkley and Penn State and helping them win the Big Ten title and then win 11 games last year. Am I crazy to think that Mississippi State, with what they returned, that they could be a legitimate threat to not only beat Alabama but win the SEC? Look at you, man. You and I are on the same page right from the get-go. You're talking my language here, man. There we go. all over Mississippi State for a while. And I think the interesting thing, and I've said this a couple times as we lead up to the season, the more we talk about things, the more we come to believe that what we're saying is true. So I I really believe that Mississippi State is going to have a good season. I went through, actually, after I left Media Days and and went through every SEC team schedule and kind of played it out in my head. I looked down, I had Mississippi State going 11-1, and which probably is shocking to most people. I think Vegas has them at like eight and a half or nine wins, something like that. Obviously, I have them going way over that win total. But you look at it, they return a ton of talent on both sides of the ball. Nick Fitzgerald will presumably be back after the the week one suspension, but you got a – a great running back in Eris Williams. You got uh, an offensive line that has some experience. The question mark on that side of the ball is the receivers. I think they, they need to be uh, better in the passing game. That starts with some of the accuracy of, of Nick Fitzgerald. And you mentioned um, the, the impact Joe Moorhead has had on, on Trace McSorley and that, that offense overall in, at Penn State. If he could do that same kind of thing, I think we could talking about Nick Fitzgerald being a Heisman-type player at the end of the year, we know he's going to be able to run the football and put up some big numbers on the ground. But if he can become more of an accurate passer, we're talking about a guy that's most likely going to end up in New York in early December. So I'm excited about that. Defensively, I think their defensive line is the best in the entire conference. I rank them number one ahead of of, uh, Auburn. It's close. I mean, Auburn is very, very good, and, and only losing one real contributor up front, they have a lot of depth of talent. Um, they, they're really aggressive. We saw them dominate in some games in, uh, in Auburn against Georgia and Alabama last year. But 
Uh, I do give the edge to Mississippi State. Surprisingly, and I don't know if you know this, you probably do because you're a smart guy, but Montez Sweat led the SEC in sacks last year, and I don't think that that's one of the, the names you think about immediately when you're talking about elite pass rushers in the conference. So you get Sweat back. Jeffrey Simmons is an absolute monster in the middle of that defense. Uh, Gary Green being converted to a defensive end in that new 4-3 scheme that, that Bob Shoup's going to run. So I'm really excited about Mississippi State. I'm with you. I think they lose to Alabama, but at the end of the day, they may give themselves a shot to be in the college football playoffs, even if they don't go to Atlanta representing the West, just like we saw from Alabama last year. Yeah, exactly. And you look at their schedule, I mean, their toughest game outside of Bama is probably home against Auburn. But, you know, you see if you're playing at home, Auburn struggled in recent years on the road. I don't see much about LSU going on over there to Baton Rouge. I don't feel like that's going to be difficult. So, I mean, for me, it really I mean, it comes down to, I think they have one of the, like you said, that best defensive line in the SEC Offensive line returns a ton of starters. They always talk about how it's a line of scrimmage league in this in the SEC. Well, you have a great offense line and a great defensive line, and in one of the better quarterbacks. I don't see why more people aren't talking about Mississippi State now. Hopefully, Nick Fitzgerald can get back for that suspension. That's just kind of a bump in the road, even though they should beat Stephen yeah. F. Austin regardless of who starts that quarterback. But I like to see him a lot, man. So we'll see what happens there. I agree with you, and, and it is a, uh, a bump in the road. I think Nick will come back and then play with a vengeance after missing game one. But I don't want you to dismiss LSU too quickly. And I, I, I was there in the spring covering okay. their, uh, their spring tour for the SEC Network. You know, it's easy to fall in love with, with teams when you're there and you're visiting with everybody and you're getting a chance to know the coaches better and the players. But I thought they got some really good news. And it wasn't necessarily that Joe Burrow beat out uh, Miles Brennan for the quarterback position. I thought that that, that that battle went on a little longer than I would have hoped. And I don't know if that's a reflection on the fact that Miles Brennan upped his game or Joe Burrow wasn't exactly what they were hoping for when he transferred from Ohio State. But the news here this week that Christian Fulton, the cornerback um, that had been suspended for two years, having that suspension uh, diminished down to one, yeah, makes him eligible to play in week one. We talked time and time again about the holes on that team. We know that they don't have the running back that they've had in Fournette and Geis in recent years. We know that they, they don't necessarily have proven receivers on the outside. We've got questions about the quarterback. But defensively, they're very, very good up front and at the linebacker position with Devin White possibly being the best guy in the conference when it comes to playing that spot. But at the end of the day, they were missing a compliment to Greedy Williams. Now with Christian Folden back, presumably if he's ready to go and doesn't have any rust, he's going to be a nice little uh, one-two addition there in that secondary. And I, I think that gives the uh, the Tigers an even better advantage than what they did. And Dave Aranda had talked a lot about the experience he returned on that side of the ball, being able to do more schematically, much like what he did at Wisconsin. So I'm excited about what that means for this Tiger program. Yeah, Chris, I guess my concern is just I'm not sure Coach O has really changed that much. I remember asking him at SEC Media Days in the big room about his decision to go with Steve Ensminger as his offensive coordinator. He basically said how after he kind of flamed out with not getting Lane Kiffin, Lane going to take the job at FAU, that he wanted to hire Steve Ensminger, but the LSU you know, brass wanted him to go with someone better. So they got Matt Canada as we know, basically halfway into the season, he told Matt Canada, enough with these pre-snap motions, run the offense I'm used to running, gets rid of Matt Canada, who's now the interim at Maryland, while that debacle goes on. And he basically said he wants Stevens Mayer the whole time. So I have a hard feeling seeing that, that yeah. Coach O's changed when he's going to kind of the things he did like about a decade ago at Ole Miss, right? I agree with you. I mean, I think that was the, that was the, the reason they hired him to be the head coach was because he was going to allow – they were going to hire really qualified coordinators and allow them to do their deal. Well, they got that on Dave Aranda, and they just up, up, upped his contract to make sure they didn't lose him. Um, in Matt Canada, I thought they were getting a guy who was going to be a great fit for, for that program. 
um, from the get-go, from everything I heard, it was not a good relationship. It was a little bit of a cancer in the in the locker room and in the coaches' offices. So they moved on from that. You're right. I mean, it definitely leaves a lot to be um, you know concerned about. But I think w- at least I feel better having Christian Fulton in that secondary and, and addressing one of those holes that uh, were, were one of many on the. Uh, heading into the depth chart of 2018 season for, for LSU. Okay, let's go down to your alma mater down in Gainesville, Florida. I've thought that the only person who could save Felipe Franks is Dan Mullen. Do you think he will save him after he's already named him the starter and that the Gators can actually push Florida, or excuse me, push Georgia in the East? Yeah, I, I don't know that he can save him. And I think it, it, this, is, this is unfortunately not the NFL where you can go out and sign a free agent to fit what you want to do. you kind of got to work with what you got. Although, yeah, you kind of can. <laughs> Well, yeah, in some cases, more so than what we used to remember it being. But I think, um, you know, in Emory Jones, uh, signing him as a true freshman, getting him in as an early enrollee back in the spring, he realized that this is a guy that's not ready to, to play at this point. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to have a bright future in Gainesville. I think he certainly will, and I think he's more the prototypical quarterback that Dan Mullen would like to have. But he had to work with what he had in Kyle Trask and Felipe Franks. And um, unfortunately, those guys are still not where, you know, I hope they would be. I think it's not exactly where they hoped that the, uh, the the coaching staff hoped they'd be. And, and there's still a little bit of a question mark on the offensive line. I mean, this was a line that gave up 36 sacks last year. They were really inconsistent. And although you return all five starters from that, that offensive line last year, is that really a good thing when you give up that amount of sacks? I mean, how much better have they gotten? So they need to be better on the offensive line. Last year, some of those sacks fell on the shoulders of Felipe Franks holding the football too long, not knowing where to go with it. I think he'll be better. I think they'll be better coached. But I still do have his, some questions on his ability to process what he's seeing defensively, throw the ball with great accuracy, protect the football, some of the mainstays of what it takes to be a successful quarterback in this conference. Yeah, and I'm sure it's only a matter of time, whether it's Emory Jones or someone else, that Dan Mullen will figure out the quarterback position down there. It really has been a mystery since Tim Tebow. And they had the guy in Will Greer, and we'll get to West Virginia and Tennessee here in a few seconds. But um, yeah, I, I'm interested to see what happens there. Now, I'm sticking to East real quick. People are talking about South Carolina being that team that could be able to compete with Georgia. They get them week two down there in Columbia. A team that I don't think will be there, but a team I think people are under are sleeping on in the East. It's not Missouri. I think it's Kentucky. I know they, they lost the quarterback in Steven yeah. Johnson, but that secondary with Mike Edwards and, and Beatty, I, I really feel like Kentucky has still enough talent to where they can be one of those teams that can compete to win about seven or eight games overall in the regular season in the SEC. Well, you know, or you probably don't because you're too young, but I'm, I haven't been the most popular guy in Lexington, Kentucky <laughs> since my catch in 93, but yeah. I somehow had a resurgence in pop- popularity when I was in the SEC Network Studios uh, doing a show, a halftime show, for the uh, Cats basketball team doing their Bahama tour down there, and, and suddenly the lights went out, so all of a sudden they had to kick it to the studio, and we are emptying our barrel when it came to all the, the Kentucky knowledge we had. I, I had it all laid out there. And I actually picked Kentucky to win eight games this year, and that uh, started a little bit of a buzz in Lexington that now has me in much greater favor than I used to be. I've done a number of shows since There you then. go. Kentucky fans are excited. And like you, I believe that this team has the talent to, uh, to, to show improvement in terms of a win total. I thought last year's schedule – lent them to having a more successful season heading into the year. I think they underachieved a little bit based upon where where the schedule and how it played out. But I do look at at this year, even though it's a little tougher schedule-wise, I think their talent is much better, much deeper. They're more competitive at every position. That's only going to make each of those guys better. You look around the the offense, 
from a receiver standpoint, they get Dorian Baker back from injury that he missed the entire season with last year. Taven Richardson's one of my favorite receivers I saw two springs ago that really did not uh, did not come to fruition as much as I would have liked last season. Uh, Lynn uh, Lynn Bowden is another one that that you know goes into his sophomore season with a lot of potential. C.J. Conrad is, is one of the best tight ends, not only in the conference but in the country. In my yeah, mind. no doubt. And having the luxury of handing the football to Benny Snell is is uh, he's an old school throwback kind of bell cow back that can carry the football. 25, 30 times a game. If he can stay healthy, you know he's going to put another thousand-yard season on top of the two that he's already put up in Lexington. So I feel good about this offense. They went with Terry Wilson, which was a little bit of a surprise to me, given the fact that I thought you know they need more of a game manager, and Gunnar Hoke appeared to know the offense a little bit better. But maybe with that injury to Landon Young, maybe having a more mobile guy makes sense at this point in time. I probably believe you see both of those players this week against Central Michigan. But I really do like this Kentucky team, and I think they're one of four teams that's in that next tier behind Georgia. We talked about South Carolina, Florida, uh, Missouri, and Kentucky. They're all right there in that mix vying to be that next best team. And I think that uh, Kentucky has the the talent to to, kind of separate themselves should they be able to uh, focus and and not give away some of those games like they did last year against Florida. Chris, we're on the same page. 11 wins for Mississippi State, 8 wins for Kentucky. What's going on here, man? I love it. I like it, man. I, I love like it. it. I knew I liked it from the get-go <laughs> for some reason, brother. Oh, man. Okay, so I want to get to this weekend's games real quick. Were you surprised? You talk about Terry Wilson. You surprised about him getting the, the nod for this weekend when Kentucky, I forget who they play. It doesn't really matter. But um, they Kellen Mond getting a nod there at yeah. A&M. Were you surprised by that? Because I thought it would – that was my biggest surprise, Joy. Actually, I mean, you you look at what the uh, the flurry of quarterback announcements that came out on Monday looked like. I really thought that Nick Starkle was going to be the guy, given what he did when he came back from his injury last season, a couple 400-yard passing games in the month of November, and then uh, you know a, a guy that fits historically what, more what Jimbo Fisher is looking for in a quarterback, a guy that can can be more of a pocket passer. But at the end of the day, I take the three takeaways that I'll. I'll uh, I guess I'll take from this announcement. One, Kellen Mond improved significantly from when we last saw him, particularly with his ability to throw the football, and maybe that has a lot to do with Jimbo Fisher and and the mechanics and stuff they've been able to work with. Two, the guy has a significant amount of knowledge of the offense because this is an offense that um, is run by by Jimbo Fisher that puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback to make sure he's reading the right things, making the right calls, adjustments at the line of scrimmage, so he's – clearly probably impressed the coaching staff with his, his intellectual skills as well as his athletic skills. And then finally, maybe it is a question mark about the offensive line because you can't just come in automatically and wave a magic wand and have them be better. Like we, we talked about with Florida, I still have some concerns about their offensive line as I do with, with A&M's offensive line. So maybe the mobility of Kellen Mond is something they're having to utilize out of necessity because the offensive line is not where they want it to be. Yeah, and you look at the last quarterback he had there at Florida State before, of course, James Blackman Jr. You know, came in last year. DeAndre Francois, he was a mobile guy, so maybe Jimbo's kind of switching to that in his pro-style offense. All right, let's uh, stick here locally. Uh, Tennessee fans probably aren't a huge fan of me right now. I, I just I tell them 5-7 and is probably what they should be looking forward to. I've been telling Tennessee fans, I know that you're probably going to get blown out this past week, this weekend against West Virginia. We're Greer, he's AP, first-team All-American at quarterback. The last time you saw Tennessee play offense and defense, what gives you any inclination that they could, one, stop West Virginia, and then, two, be able to score at least 30 points to even compete with them? What do you think about the game this weekend? What are your expectations for the Vols going into 2018? First, let me say this. I'm a big fan of Jeremy Pruitt. I think they got the right guy, and I'm excited about what he's going to do there in Knoxville. 
I think it's going to take some time. I think this is a, a roster that's deficient in talent, certainly not up to what we've come to expect over the years from, from a Tennessee volunteer team. So that's going to take some, some years of stacking some good recruiting classes on top of one another. But from a cultural standpoint, there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. I, I looked at some of those games down the stretch last year, and it looked like Tennessee gave up. Um, certainly the record would reflect that. I mean, they hadn't gone 0-8 in the conference. They hadn't gone winless in the conference schedule in their entire history. They did it last year. I think there's a pretty good chance that might happen this year. That doesn't mean I don't think they make some progress because I think that he's, uh, Jeremy Pruitt's bringing some accountability to that program and demanding a little bit more of them and creating some discipline, which is much needed. But uh, I do think that they're needing they need a significant upgrade, particularly on the lines of scrimmage, and they were miserable last year trying to stop the run. They weren't very good up front with penetrating or, or creating any sort of resistance whatsoever. Um, they gave up some sacks last year as well. The offensive line wasn't able to open holes the way that they probably should have been. So until they get that right, I think they're probably doomed to be a team that, that is uh, underachieving in terms of uh, the Tennessee Vols fan base and what their wishes are. But I think um, I, I do believe for whatever reason they're going to be able to hang in there against West Virginia. I think this is, they need to have some success early on in order to feel good about themselves and maybe start to believe a little bit more as the game wears on. But I, I think that um, I still believe that there is a difference between Big 12 defenses and SEC defenses. And while Tennessee was not a great defense last year, I think that with Jeremy Pruitt's oversight and adjustments and um, you know, the fact that they play much better competition in this conference, I think they'll – I think they'll be able to hang in there a little bit, and hopefully the Vols will be able to score some points because I think it's going to be necessary with Will Greer and that offense that West Virginia has. Yeah, well, we'll see. The state should uh, hopefully hold up this first weekend. Okay, Alabama and Louisville. Des Fitzpatrick, who's the wide receiver up there in Louisville, said a couple weeks ago that he feels like none of his receiver, his entire receiving core had, should have no problem getting past these Alabama receivers. And I don't know about no problem, but I do actually side with him on their experience. Jalen Smith, one of the best Receivers in the country, a lot of people know about. He's a first-team All-ACC player, Seth Dawkins. I think Alabama's secondary could have issues this next this weekend. I know everyone's wondering whether it's going to be Jalen or Tua. It doesn't really matter. Whoever starts will probably get to the playoff regardless. But I think that secondary could be a problem, especially Saturday night and early on in the season for Bama. Well, first of all, you know now they've had two players kind of talking a little trash leading up to the Alabama game. I don't know that's the, the smartest uh, advice. You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily give them um, – I wouldn't give them any motivation to try to play harder. I mean, this is an Alabama team that plays pretty consistently. You don't have to worry about them mailing it in. But I think, you know, them, the offensive lineman calling out uh, Alabama's defensive line and then the receiver calling out Alabama's secondary, I imagine that they've gotten the focus of the tide even more so than what they would have anyway. I still think, they're, you know, this is a, a team, a big disparity in talent on Alabama's roster versus what Louisville has. Uh, Lamar Jackson was able to make up for a lot in his last couple seasons at Louisville. Um, unfortunately for Cards fans, he's not walking through that door as uh, as we've heard before. So I, I don't think that um, I don't think this is going to be a close football game. At the end of the day, I think Alabama wins going away. And I'm with you. It doesn't matter if Jalen or if uh, Tua is the quarterback in this one. Alabama's going to be able to move the football. I think going in the rest of the season, though, it's going to be interesting to see. Is it Tua? Because if it's Tua, now you got that downfield uh, vertical passing threat that they haven't had uh, much during Nick Saban's time in, in Alabama. Now they become a much more diverse, diverse offense. But at, uh, you know, at the same time, how much do we really know about Tua? We saw him for a, uh, a half and overtime of meaningful snaps last year. Um, he had the pick well six against that, Tennessee. 
Yeah, I mean, he very well may be a guy that, that doesn't take care of the football. And Nick Saban puts a premium on taking care of the football. Jalen Hurts, while he may not be able to be the best passer downfield, he doesn't turn the football over. And that's something that Nick Saban and his defensive-minded background certainly can appreciate. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that whole thing plays out. Yeah, it will be, and I don't really think it matters. Like I said, end of the day, Alabama will probably find a way to the playoff. We we'll get to your four playoff selections. Our post on ESPN dot com earlier today. Um, so Auburn Washington. I don't know. It's just kind of a hot take. Maybe I really don't think this game matters that much because if Washington wins, I feel like Auburn's going to struggle this year, having to go on the road to Mississippi State, who we're both high on, on the road to Georgia, and on the road to Bama. So that's an eight and four t- win against. That's a team that's eight and four. How great of a win is that for Washington? Now, if Washington loses to Auburn, I still don't think Auburn goes on and makes the playoff. But then Washington's probably going to have a damn hard of a time to get to the playoff with a loss in a non-conference against a weak Pac-12. Is that crazy for me to think that this game doesn't mean as much as it would look like on paper with two top ten teams playing? Yeah, I, I think it means. I think it means more for Washington. I mean, obviously Auburn. You're right. I mean Auburn. I have them going nine and three. I have them actually winning the Washington game and losing those those three games that you mentioned. It is a difficult schedule for them having to play in the SEC West. Last year they were the beneficiary of having Georgia and having Alabama come to the Plains to, to play Auburn at home. They have to make those return trips. So you got to feel like those two games are probably not going to go uh, Auburn's way. And I have Mississippi State obviously beating Auburn as well. I don't know that they're going to have a season. I think this team could be better than last year, but unfortunately I don't think their record may necessarily reflect that. Um, but for Washington, it's a, it's a potential for validation. I mean, it's an opportunity to beat a top-tier SEC team. As bad as the Pac-12 was last year, they, they desperately they need a victory, and this is the whole conference kind of weighing on Washington's shoulders as the, the, the flag carrier to go out and, and, and get them with some legitimacy. So I think this is a big football game not only for – for Washington, but for the whole conference in general. At the end of the day, I, I think there is a, a physicality differential that is going to allow Auburn to, to win the game. I know we have questions about what this offensive line is going to look like, but that, that front seven for Auburn is as good or better than any in the entire country, and I think they're going to make, uh, make it very difficult for Washington's offense to utilize those weapons that they have because they got a bunch of them. I mean, if you haven't watched them play, they got the ability to run the football, they can throw the football, they're, they're a team that has a lot of different diverse weapons, but uh, if you can't protect up front, it, it makes all that mo- a moot point. Yeah, I mean, because Jake Browning was what, finished sixth in the Heisman a couple years ago, went to the playoff, and Miles Gaskin, he's going to be probably their all-time leading rusher when it's all said and done there. Washington, quickly, before we get to your playoff predictions, uh, LSU-Miami, where, how do you see that one going? You know, again, I, you know, I may sound like an SEC homer, but um, you know, LSU is an interesting team as much as they, they have a – a large disparity in, in potential, right? They, they could be a team that wins eight or nine games. They could win, be a team that wins five or six games. Right. And uh, it, a lot of it has to do with the mentality of that, uh, that team. I do think, as I said earlier, they get a, a boost with Christian Fulton being eligible for this season's play. Um, but I, I do – this is more of an anti-Miami pick because I don't know that I believe in Miami. I think Miami is more the team we saw in the last three games last year as opposed to the one that we saw – run through the season undefeated prior to that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, I think Malik Rogier has a propensity to turn the football over, and um, that's one of the things that we know um, LSU is historically pretty good at, right? They, they force turnovers. They're going to get some pass rush. I love Rashard Lawrence, Braden Feoko, the transfer from Texas Tech up front. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a nice addition to that defense. Devin White is, the, like I said, the, the best linebacker in the entire conference. So 
I think this is going to be a, a game where LSU's defense is able to force Rozier into some errors. And if you look back last year in those final two games where they got beat by Clemson and Wisconsin, he threw five interceptions in those two games. I think this could be a continuation of what we saw at the end of 2017. Okay, man. So let's get your four-hour player picks. I don't know if you actually said this or some intern just posted online, but it has you picking Bama, Clemson, which I agree with, Georgia and Wisconsin. Okay, so yeah. I, I, when looking at Alabama and Georgia schedules, I, I think they're pretty lax this year, so I could actually see that happening. They both go undefeated once again. Yeah. I don't think it would be right because I just don't think they're going to have the same strict schedule, say, like a Michigan and Ohio State, one of those Big Ten East teams will have. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised that it happens again. Wisconsin, though, I mean, Alex Hornerbrook, he, he might have played well against Miami. And you, like you said, those last three games kind of seemed like who Miami really was when they kind of regressed to the mean. I just don't think Wisconsin, especially with the with Quintez Cephas being out, with the whole sexual assault issue, Danny Davis has the first two games of the season. He's one of the wide receivers, had three touchdowns in that Orange Bowl game. I just don't know if I can buy into Hornerbrook being good enough to get them to the playoff when the last two seasons, when they've been a game away, he hasn't done it. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I see where you're coming from with that. And, and really, this was, this was an audible for me at the line of scrimmage. I stepped to the line. I saw Urban Meyer getting suspended. I think it's going to have, you know, cast a shadow that, that uh, creates some adversity through the remainder of the season. I initially had Ohio State in my top four, and then with all this going down, I think it's going to have an impact that, uh, like I said, affects the entire season. So it was almost a, a pick. I believe the Big Ten may be the, the most difficult um, conference in the country this year, and they may be blasphemous being – on the SEC network and, and talking SEC football as much as I do. But that, that uh, Big Ten East is as good as, uh, as any in the country, maybe better than the, the SEC West. So it's going to be difficult for a team to come out of that side unscathed. I think Wisconsin being on the other side uh, has the best chance of that. If they can get to the Big Ten title game and win it, I believe they're going to be in. So uh, that, it was made, I, I think they're going to be better throwing the football this year. They have some talent on the outside. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of my selection had to do more so with, I think, what's going to happen to Ohio State and believing that the Big Ten is worthy of getting a team in this year. Yeah, no, and I have Bama Clemson. I have Washington, even though right now, my gut, I feel like they're going to lose to Auburn, so that probably won't happen. And I have Michigan State. I like what they have coming back. But Big Ten East, like you said, it's rugged. So we'll see yeah. what happens, man. No doubt about it, man. It's going to be fun. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's like Christmas Eve right now. I'm getting ready to head up to uh, – I'll be in Charlotte on Thursday night for the Northwestern State-Texas uh, A&M game and obviously a, a slew of great games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, man. Looking forward to it, bro. Oh, back to my hometown, the Queen City. Hey, where do you hang out real quick when you're in Charlotte? Where are you, where are you eating at? <laughs> I, I probably need some insight from you, man. I, I'm, I'm so busy up there when I get in. It's like to the studio. We're on at night. I don't get much time. And then Saturday – is a grind from about noon until about one in the morning, so I don't get a whole lot of time to to uh, to venture outside of the the uh, Ballantyne area. But uh-huh. would love some suggestions from you since it is your hometown. Okay, okay. You know I'm not going to give it to everybody. I'll, so I'll send you a I'll send you a list. Sounds good. Yeah, man. the people haven't earned to, it yet. Uh, receiving that, man. Yeah, of course, man. Really appreciate you giving me the time, man. Really appreciate yeah. that. Anytime, Julia, man. Look forward to uh, catching up with you soon, bud. Absolutely. Take care. Great stuff there from Chris Doring of the SEC Network. Hey, man. Great minds think alike. Mississippi State really liked them this year. I had someone tweet at me the other day saying that me harping on Mississippi State was like the most Jared Stillman-esque hot take. Like, I don't think it's a hot take. You talk about a team that brings back the amount of guys they have in the offensive line, too. The best defensive tackles in all of college football, Montez Sweat and Jeffrey Simmons. And then Nick Fitzgerald, who I wasn't high on last year, but he still was an all-SEC player. 
if he can learn how to throw the ball from the pocket and win from there like Dak Prescott did a couple years ago when they were number one team in the country, I really like Mississippi State. If you can run the football, him and Aris Williams, and the receivers got to figure it out, but that defense is going to be great. I know losing Todd Grantham hurts, but Bob Shoup, some Tennessee fans might not like him, but he's a guy who's been around that league for a long time. He's a guy who's been really successful as a defensive coordinator. So I really like Mississippi State. Kentucky, people are sleeping on him. I don't think Kentucky is going to be a team that's right there to beat Georgia and win the East. But, hey, remember, a year ago, had they not blown a Florida game at home, had they not blown that game at against Ole Miss at home, they are, well, right there with Georgia with a chance to win the SEC East. Had they not blown either one of those games or won one of those games, they would have gone to Athens for the right to go to Atlanta. So we're talking about a year removed. Steven Johnson is basically all they lose. That secondary, love the secondary. Benny Snell, who's a better running back than Benny Snell in the SEC? Who's a better proven running back in the SEC than Benny Snell? I don't think you can name one. So you have that, and then Terry Wilson, we'll see how he does. Chris was not huge on him, but maybe he can make some plays. He was the Oregon commit originally before he went to junior college, so it seems like they might have a quarterback up there. So I like that team in Kentucky. I don't think they're going to be a team that wins the SEC East per se. I think it's a team that has been right there, been on the cusp. And I've been a guy the last couple of years who's really talked a lot about what Kentucky can do. South Carolina, I feel like they're a little overrated, to be honest with you. Uh, Debo Samuel getting hurt last year. He had six touchdowns at that point when he got hurt against, I think it was Kentucky in that Saturday, that SEC Saturday night game, and no other player or, or receiver on that team led him, got the same amount of touchdowns as him. So I think it helped him, though, the fact that he was out because Ortrey Smith, Shai Smith, Brian Edwards, those guys got to develop even more. So that South Carolina passing game, should be pretty good, but the offensive line is not healthy and the offensive line is not winning their battles in the trenches. South Carolina is not going to be able to lean on Jake Bentley because games where he had to throw the ball over 200 yards last year, outside of the Florida game, South Carolina was not successful. So we'll see how the Gamecocks do down there. And Will Muschamp, I'm not sure I'm a believer in him right now. I've been impressed by what he's done in the first two years down there in Columbia. So we'll see where that goes. Bama should win the SEC. I wouldn't be surprised if Mississippi State wins it, though. Auburn, Washington. This, this week, then having at Mississippi State, at Georgia, at Alabama, the gauntlet. Somewhat, somehow they got to get that changed, but if you're going to change, you got to change everyone's schedule in the SEC, so I'm not sure if that ever, that's ever going to happen for Auburn. So all those kind of things. I'm excited about SEC football being here. Great stuff from Chris Doring. On the other side, Trey Wallace, great friend up there in Knoxville, Fox Sports Knoxville, thereadoptional.com. He hosts It's Optional. Great Vols mine on the other side, previewing the Tennessee football season and this weekend's game against West Virginia. It's a Julian Council show. When the big stories break, Ryan Hartman has been traded to the Predators. Ryan Hartman is 23 years of age, an established player in the NHL, and he fits all the boxes that we were looking for. We are here to deliver. Titans have released to Marco Murray, and they are going with Derek Henry as their lead running back. Nashville's best sports talk is ESPN. 102.5 The Game. All right, go. let's go down to Trey Wallace. Uh, had him back on the show when I was doing it on Saturday mornings on the radio. College football and college basketball reporter for the readoptional.com. Also covers the Vols up there on Fox Sports Knoxville. Every day, Monday through Friday, actually. It's optional from 1 to 3 up there in Knox. Really happy for him. Trey, how you doing, man? I'm great, buddy. It's just good off. just got off the air, and I uh, guess I didn't have to go to media availability today with the Vols, but everything is, uh, everything is playing out really well. I'm looking forward to the start of at least some power five football 
starting up, I guess it would be Thursday night, leading into the weekend uh, with, with Tennessee. And, and it's been a ride, buddy, but I'm excited. Yeah, Trey, look, I'm, I'm fired up for Purdue Northwestern. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for some college football to get going here. And um, so, <laughs> look, man, I'm happy you got that show up there. I know when we, I had you on last year, you are talking about you might begin to move up to Knoxville. Some things behind the scenes and other places didn't work out, but that radio show worked out for you, so I'm happy for you there. Um, so your first impressions, man, what are your impressions on the Vols this season? Because I'm a kind of a guy I've been telling Tennessee fans who asked me five and seven seems like the right number six and six. I can see it. I can see them potentially being Florida. We'll see how the Missouri and Kentucky games go on later on in the season, maybe this weekend against West Virginia, but I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards that being more of a, a, a one-sided affair, especially in the second half there for the Mountaineers looking how good their offense is. What are your expectations for the Vols heading into 2018 under Jeremy Pruitt? I look at it, look, and it's it's completely different up here. And I mean that in a way of when I first went out to practice, there was no music playing. There was no coach on a microphone just constantly screaming. It was a different atmosphere. And, and the first thing that I really noticed was you could hear the assistant coaches. And I think that was key. And I think it's a small thing if people might overlook it. But what I'm getting at is that these guys are being developed. They're being coached up. You know, you, you have guys that come in, let's say, like a Bryce Thompson or even Alante Taylor, who was here in the spring where Bryce Thompson gets to the summer. These are guys that are going to make contributions for the Vols this year and especially in the opening game of the season. I, I tend to look at it as Coach Bruett has been very smart in the way he's handled the media and the way he's able to get his message out there if you know Coach Bruitt, and I've followed Coach Bruitt since he was at Hoover because uh, I'm from Mobile, Alabama, so yeah. it was an easy follow, and I knew all about him. So I kind of knew what to expect when it came to to him not releasing too much information. And but, but But what I can tell you is this team is a lot grittier. This team seems to have a chip on their shoulder. They understand how bad last year was. And they're going to try to come out guns a-blazing on Saturday against West Virginia. And, look, I, I personally, you know, you, you said what you said about West Virginia, but I, but I also think that if Tennessee can come out and rush for over 150 yards, be able to establish a running game and eat up that clock, all that's going to do is take away possessions from West Virginia, mm-hmm. which I think gives Tennessee a chance going into the fourth quarter, Julie. Yeah, and you say that too with running the football. Tyson Helton last year, at, at, I don't really know what his breakdown the role was with him and T. Martin at USC as offensive coordinator, but you saw USC's offense when they had things rolling on the ground that they kept doing that. I think that was a problem a lot of times last year, not giving John Kelly the ball down at the goal line against Florida and all those other times throughout the season where Tennessee was not as dedicated to the running game that they should have been. So I can see with Ty Chandler, Madre London, a grad transfer from Michigan State, that they might be able to run the football better. I'm more concerned up front with that offensive line. Now, Trey Smith, he's back there. But outside of that, I just don't know how I feel about Tennessee on that offensive line. If Tennessee, if Tennessee's going to be able to establish a running game this year and establish their presence, they've got to have Drew Richmond on the other side of that line of scrimmage finally step up and be that playmaker for Tennessee along that line. There's no more excuses because you've got your center position anchored down with Brandon Kennedy, the transfer from Alabama. They're going to be fine at that standpoint. But on the other side, you, you've got to have Drew Richmond stand up and, and stand out. And what they're going to do is they'll fill in the other spots. You know, either it could be a Ryan Lockmere or it could be a Jameer Johnson. You know, but when you have Trey Smith, Brandon Kennedy, Drew Richmond, you need that final name to step up. And I, and I think what that does is it's going to open it up for Madre London. 
It's going to open it up for Ty Chandler and Tim Carver. And the big thing that stands out to me is that Madre London during fall camp, and even when he got here over the summer, he's turned himself into a possible first down back that you might see him out there on Saturday getting the so-called start. Now, the thing with Tennessee they're going to do is they have a trio of running backs. So, you, you know, if one doesn't start one game, one might start the next game. I don't think that's a big to do because I think it's going to be running back by committee. Uh, but what Tennessee's got to do is be able to have a healthy offensive line going into week three, the same line you had week one, because that was the problem last year. And a lot of people were kind of hating on the quarterbacks a little bit, giving them a lot of grief. But then my point I come back at them with is, okay, look, he didn't have an offensive line that could protect for a second and a half. So how is this quarterback supposed to sit back in the pocket and pick down his wide receivers when you're not giving him any time at all to make those decisions? So a little bit goes on Garantano and Dormady, uh, and a little bit goes on the offensive line. But I think if they can get stabilized, I think you'll see this offense be able to actually put up some points this year and possibly shock some folks. Yeah, I want to say it was May last when we talked and had you on the show, and you talked about you felt that Keller Christ would end up being the guy at quarterback there. Do you still feel the same way? I, I man, it, it's so. I'm not going to call it. I'm not going to call it political like it is in Alabama, but I will say, Jared Garantano has been around the program for a long time now, and he hasn't been in a Pruitt for a long time, but he's mm-hmm. been around Tennessee, and and I think that the way things are trending right now that he will be the first quarterback to take a snap under center against West Virginia. He hasn't done anything to to lose the starting job, Julian, but he hasn't done anything to break away and take the starting job. Like it's, you know, what we're seeing across the country this week, and it it really, I guess, started Saturday or, or sometimes Sunday with JT Daniels getting the job at USC as a true freshman. We're seeing, we've seen coaches now, named these starting quarterbacks. And the big thing that's missing from Tennessee is they haven't named the starting quarterback. And, and I don't see the big deal in naming one because of yeah. Dana Holgerson. He's prepared for either A, a quarterback who's going to sit in the pocket and throw the ball around, or B, a quarterback who's going to sit in the pocket and throw the ball around, but also every now and then be able to get outside and maybe gain 10, 15 yards on a run. So, I mean, there's not much difference. So, I don't see what the big weight is to name a quarterback. My opinion on that is they are going into this week and see who prepares the best when it comes to game preparation for West Virginia, and then they'll name a starting quarterback, and I think that'll be Garantano uh, come Saturday afternoon at 2.30. But you still feel like there's a chance that – I mean, why well, do you feel like it should be Chris? I, I mean, because you sound a little – I mean, not frustrated, but you kind of sound – you know, confused by the situation going at hand. I I am a little confused by it. I, I, I am. I think that I don't I don't mean this in any type of way, but I think Garantano has got a lot of positive outlook come his way from folks that have followed Garantano since high school. If that makes sense. A lot of people don't know Keller Chris. He comes in from Stanford. Yeah. He's a new quarterback. Tyson Held knows him, or he wouldn't have brought him in. You know, he's been on the West Coast. He understands. You know, David Shaw has spoken very highly of Keller Chris, but folks around Knoxville don't know him. So you bring in a new quarterback against somebody that's been covered for the last four years, per se, dating back to high school. And I think, 
I think the coverage has been a little tilted one way when it comes to one quarterback. Right. Because Keller Chris has had himself two really good scrimmages. And, and, but in the end, I think it comes down to uh, who's been around, I guess, long enough and, and, and who they think they can get the job done if somebody has to get outside the pocket. Uh, but overall, I would come out – look, this is me. If I, if I was Tennessee, I'd come out and start Keller Chris against ETSU in that second game. I would. I would see what the kid has because Jeremy Pruitt, he's got to win this year, and he knows that. And winning, and by that I mean he needs to get six or seven wins to keep this recruiting class intact because if he comes out and gets four wins – you're going to see this recruiting class kind of drop off a little bit and not be as sweet-looking as it is right now. So he needs to go with a quarterback who's going to be able to win him some ball games. I personally think it's Keller Chris. A lot of people think it's Garantano. Uh, I guess we'll see how it plays out come Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I was never that impressed by Keller Chris back at Stanford. I know two years right. ago he was in a battle of Ryan Burns, who was a retro senior. He ended up being the better quarterback in that situation than last year. It was just so apparent that the offense at Stanford moved so much better when KJ Costello was one under center. But you know, people forget. You know, you talk about people don't really know Keller Chris. Everyone's talking about, oh, Garantano was just five star quarterback. Well, so was Keller Chris. You know, we care about star ratings all you want, but you have two five star right. quarterbacks. You pretty much know what you got from one guy in Garantano in a way, especially attitude wise. I've never gotten over the way he acted after that Georgia Tech game, and then even the loss to South Carolina. I just feel like you know. You, you got to get up. People praise Jake Bentley for going there and helping him out, but you, you can't sit there and kind of cry and pout about losing the game. You got to sit there and you got to go comfort your teammates. You're the you're a quarterback. You're the leader of the team. So right. I, I'm I'm not a huge Garantano fan. I'm also not a huge Keller Chris fan. Chris sounds like a guy who's going to fit the offense better, but we'll see what happens. But the biggest thing to me, Julian, is when you have guys like and you can line up on one side Juwan Jennings, the other side Marquez Callaway. You can throw Brandon Johnson at the slot. You can rotate in Jordan Palmer or Brandon Murphy as well. Tennessee has the talent at wide receiver that if you just give them a quarterback that can hit the 20-yard fade, that can lead into whatever, hit the 10- to 15-yard post, be able to hit an out, you're going to have a successful season on offense because it's going to be balanced all around your running game. So it's not like you need – a completely dynamic quarterback, somebody that can break away for 20 to 25 yards. It's just not that type of offense. So that's where it kind of stuck out to me that Keller Chris be able to get them the ball, be able to read the defenses. And a lot of people forget too that, and I'm not hating on the young guy, I'm just being realistic. Garantano had a hard time last year of reading defenses as yeah. well. So you, you take all that into factor, um, you know, three and a half weeks ago, I'd have thought Keller Chris would be the starting quarterback, but things I keep hearing uh, from inside the program kind of leads me to believe Garantano will get the start, and we'll see Keller Chris on Saturday as well. Yeah, I mean, we look at this roster. People have said a lot of times that Tennessee, you know, doesn't have a lot of talent that Butch Jones was out there start chasing, which he was doing. But, I mean, you look at these, these players out here, and injuries have been a part of it. A lot of guys have gotten experience. You, there's a lot of names that you recognize that are right now in that two deep, whether they're an or they're the flat-out starter. I'm interested to feel, I mean, what your thoughts are on this roster right now. And then, I mean, looking defensively, a guy like Elante Taylor, who I know you've spoken highly of, what do you think that he's going to bring to that secondary alongside, you know, he's playing quarterback, but also secondary that boasts Nelja Warrior and Micah Abernathy at safety who are sitting there as the flat-out starters? 
Uh, I think that Alante Taylor brings speed. I think he brings distinction on the defense. And the, guy, the young man has been able to pick it up pretty darn fast. And, and it dates back to, to spring ball as well. I, I think with, with what happens with Tennessee, and I said this a couple days ago on the show, Tennessee doesn't have 0-8 in the SEC-type talent. They've got six, seven wins in the SEC-type talent, Agreed. at least in the East. Agreed. Uh, the, the problem that happened last year is that you can have all the talent in the world, but when you don't believe in your leader and you don't want to play for your leader and you see things that completely fall apart, that's why Tennessee ended up 0-8 in the SEC. It's not that all these teams were a lot better than Tennessee. It's because that they just they lost that grit to play for their coach. And now you bring in somebody that he ain't a player's coach. He's a guy that's going to come in there and try to get the most out of you, and he wants you to be leaders. And you see that with Shy Tuttle and Kyle Phillips along the defensive line. Uh, you've seen that with Batuli step up. Even Darren Kirkland, who's been kind of hurt this, this fall camp, but he's getting back to it. Uh, you look at these guys, and, and you want them to become the leaders that – they probably should have been towards the end of last season. And, and this is a Tennessee team that was riddled with injuries the last two years, and it's not an excuse to go 0-8 in the SEC. I just think, look, if you keep these guys healthy and Tennessee hasn't had uh, any injuries in fall camp, and you're not going wood on that one, but I think this is a team that they have the talent to make a run towards, you know, the schedule this year is going to be really tough. But next year, Tennessee's got the talent to make a run towards Atlanta. And, and I think that they've had the talent. It's unfortunate that the coaches were at, that were at the university didn't really know what to do with that talent. Yeah, and hey, man, I, I, I buy that. I buy that with the right coaching. This team can have an opportunity. Now, quarterback situation, if it's not Garantano this year and Garantano doesn't you know develop into the quarterback that matches his star rating, then they're going to have that question again going into next season. But yeah, Tennessee right. certainly is not – talent deficient this year now i i think five and seven i can see six and six um but I, we'll see because that, that stretch in the middle of the year my concern is if hopefully i mean for y'all's sake they don't lose to florida again but they lose to florida they lose to georgia you got the bye then auburn alabama south carolina who i think's o- overrated but you got to go on the road to south carolina right you end up losing those five games i think that's when you'll find a lot about this coaching staff and a lot about this team i think the biggest thing julian is and i and i've said this for the last four months, and I'll keep saying it. If they can come out and find a way to beat West Virginia on Saturday, if Will Greer comes out and throws a pair of interceptions, something along those lines, Tennessee can run the football. If they could somehow beat West Virginia Saturday, which is not out of the question, I think Tennessee starts the season 4-0. They'll get the win at Florida over uh, at home, mm-hmm. and then they're going to go through that gauntlet. And that gauntlet is tough as anybody in the country. I've looked at schedules for all these teams, and when Tennessee has to play Auburn, Georgia, Bama, South Carolina, throw in Florida on the front end of that thing, that's that's a tough stretch that I find in anybody in the country that that would line up with that. And here's the problem. Okay, get your four wins if they can beat West Virginia, and then you're kind of good because you're going to go and you're going to beat Charlotte. That'll get you to five. Missouri, South Carolina, if you can split that, that'll get you to six, and then you're dealing with Kentucky and Vanderbilt to try to find that seventh win. I think Tennessee is a seven-and-five type team. Uh, But, look, I mean, if injuries start going down like they did last year or they can't figure out or decide the quarterback situation, then I could be right there with you. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the problem, man, because I don't know about the depth. I really don't know about the depth, and then the quarterback has to be good. Right. No, I I agree completely. I I think, I guess the biggest help would be the wide receiving core that they have on the outside. I I think that's the biggest thing where, look, just throw the ball up, let these guys go make plays, and then play it on from there. I I just, it can go a lot of different ways, man. And, And the talent that Tennessee has, the two deep talent that Tennessee has, I believe they can go seven and five. But if you try to go three or four deep with this team, they could easily go five and seven. So are we going six and six, final answer, to kind of split the difference there? Yep, six and six, final answer, then probably playing, uh, uh, I would uh, probably Liberty Bowl. Shreveport. Probably. Shreveport. Look, (laughs) the Weed Eater Bowl was always fun, man. So, I mean, I I don't think I'd have a problem going to Shreveport. It's before Christmas, so I can deal with it. Going to a bowl game is what Tennessee fans want. Get to a bowl game, like you said, keep that recruiting class intact, and obviously do not lose to Vanderbilt. And all right. will be well with the Tennessee Volunteers football program after year one with Jeremy Pruitt. Now, of course, fans, some people want more. SEC title's not happening, folks. But 6-6, six and six, bowl game, don't lose to Vanderbilt. Keep up the top 10 recruiting class. I'd, I'd chalk it up as a success. No, I, I would chalk that up as a success, too. And over there where you're at, Nashville, good luck with all the talk that's going on right now with Vanderbilt. Maybe they can get a stadium <laughs> in the next 20 to 25 years. That's a... If I've ever seen a cluster, and I lived in Nashville, and you know this, for five and a half years, yeah. I've never seen a cluster like that of an administration of an athletic department. So I uh, hope you guys uh, keep being on their tail over there. Yeah, I mean, we will, man. And I guess, I mean, I hate to bring it up again, but it's crazy that Vanderbilt refuses to put money into their football program, and yet Tennessee can't be. And it makes zero sense to me. But hopefully, exactly. hopefully Vanderbilt invests, and hopefully Tennessee can get back to being the power that they once were not too long ago. Trey, great stuff as always. Listen to him on Fox Sports Knox up there in Knoxville. The op- it's optional from 1 to 3 Eastern time up there in Knoxville. Trey, really appreciate it. Julian, been a pleasure. Thank you so much, buddy. Of course. Awesome stuff from Trey Wallace there. Awesome, awesome stuff. Look, and folks, Tennessee fans, you might not like me this year. When I'm hosting a Saturday tailgate every Saturday morning from 9 to 11 with Nick Kale from Morning Drive, but I- I'm telling you, Five and seven, that's how I feel right now. I'm just not sure if the Vols can get that upset. I think I think they might get it, but I'm not ready to say that they will. But they're going to be right there. They're going to have a chance. So five and seven, six and six is probably where you want to be. You want to be not five and seven. You want to be six and six, but five and seven. If you get there, yes, disappointment, but don't be surprised if it happens. I think Tennessee has the talent when it comes to that first 22 that they can compete with anybody outside of probably Auburn, maybe even Auburn, but outside of Auburn, Georgia, and Alabama. Outside of that, they start having injuries, which I know are going to occur. Maybe the injury luck will finally be on their side, but injuries are going to happen. And if they don't figure out the quarterback position by, you know, Florida, or, you know, before that gauntlet comes, I don't know if this team is going to be good enough to win six games. But, hey, end of the year, build up some confidence, beat Charlotte, get Kentucky at home, get Missouri and then Vanderbilt cannot lose to Vanderbilt, they might have a chance. If they can get down there and they don't lose who they are and they can listen and continue to go with the message that Jeremy Pruitt and that staff have brought to Knoxville this year, they might have a chance at six wins. I'm just saying five and seven is how I feel right now because I don't know if they have the depth either way. Happy as hell that college football is back. Excited. Tonight, Northwestern, Purdue. I know. Big Ten, whatever. I'm excited about Big Ten football. I'm excited about college football. All weekend long and Labor Day. Really excited about that. Okay, so Julian Couch Show, I've told you. I've been trying to figure out this whole iTunes thing. It, it, it's been figured out. I figured it out. So go on iTunes, search the Julian Council Show, 
rate, review, subscribe, or don't, but please do subscribe, please rate, please review. I, if you want to say something negative, I want to hear it. I want to improve. I'm doing this podcast for you, Nashville. I'm doing this podcast for all the people out there. So hope you enjoyed this episode. iTunes, SoundCloud, the 1025 The Game SoundCloud. I have my own SoundCloud page, but 1025 The Game has more followers. Really awesome. Thanks again to Chris Doring. Thanks again to Trey Wallace. College football is back. I will talk to you guys on Saturday and then back on the podcast on Monday. Peace.